Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the channel. Today's video is going to be a little bit different than normal. I just got off of a 10-day Buddhist meditation retreat in the Himalayas. Yes, we're still in India. It's the bottom of the Himalayas. Give me some credit. But here's the deal. I have been thinking a ton over the last 10 days about Buddhism, about life, about philosophy. And I want to share all of my takeaways with you about my experience in the retreat, as well as my thoughts on Buddhism and religion in general. Here's the deal, y'all. I'm going to break this down into the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to talk a little bit about the retreat itself, the 10 days I spent at the retreat center. We're going to talk about Buddhism a little bit, why I really like it, some of my biggest takeaways, and then we're going to... God damn. I'm also going to talk about my pushback on the ideas. Key is two cents on it. So normally my videos are a lot more like top five this. I'm gonna give you the top three gems of that. This is going to be very little of like top five, top that. It's gonna be much more rambly. It's gonna feel a little bit more like a podcast. I've taken a bunch of notes, but I'm gonna let y'all know we're gonna be going deep. Why? Because I think it deserves it. There's so much to this culture, this religion, so much I've been thinking about the last few days. I wanna get off my chest. I also wanna talk about the retreat. I also feel like it's about to rain again i just tried to shoot this video and it rained like crazy storm so i'm gonna be going a little bit quicker than normal because there's a lot i want to get through and get to a couple things to get out the way my pops used to tell me you can get along with anyone as long as you don't talk about sex politics and religion so i'm about to break that man's kind of cardinal rule because we're going to be jumping in and so i want to let you know that straight up right now i'm going to be saying some flammable shit. it's going to be incendiary in fact i would say check your stove Make sure your pilot light is on because if you have a gas leak, this shit is going to be so flammable, it may cause spontaneous combustion. There will be minimal editing in this video. I'm going to be just chopping it up. I'm not going to have my editor do all the cool, fun, fancy shit because it's just your boy coming to you. But if there are little bits and pieces when I'm looking at my phone, looking at the notes, I'm going to cut them out. So I will be jumping around a little bit like this. I'm not going to be zooming in as normal. I'm not going to have the cool titles. I'm not going to have anything bulleted, one, two, and three, anything like that. We're going to keep it Kia, real raw, straight to the camera, just my thoughts flammable thoughts so if you're ready to blow your apartment the fuck up let's jump into this let's talk about the retreat in general what was the retreat what did it kind of consist of what did it look like this was with Tushita this was recommended to me from my friends Ronnie and Diana this is way up north of India the very top of India in this place called Dharamshala and it's cold out here y'all but this is where the Dalai Lama lives in fact this Tushita retreat center is maybe a 20 minute walk from the Dalai Lama's temple and house, his residence. We actually got to see the Dalai Lama because he did this like presentation, which I thought was really interesting, which we're gonna to get to a little bit later on down the line. The retreat was itself was fantastic, but I'd say it was less of a retreat and more of a course. When I think of retreat, it sounds almost relaxing. I'm going somewhere just to think and just to kind of chill out, maybe be in silence. It's a little bit more low key. This was an intense, I wouldn't say this is a retreat. I'd say this was more of a 10 day intensive. This was a lot. This was full days from 6 a.m. was the wake up bell until about 9 a.m. was when our last meditation was over. And the days consisted of three, two to three hours, I'd say, of meditation, as well as two to three, maybe even four hours of intense Buddhist theory. So we would sit in this, it's called a gompa, I think. It's like a big lecture hall, get these theories, and then we break them up with meditations. They fed us really well there. But it was, it was an experience. It's also silent. It's a silent retreat in terms of no talking, unless it was during the lecture, we were asking questions and stuff. But you weren't even supposed to look at people. 
And so in that regard, I'm terrible. I was trash. I'm really good at not talking, but I'm trash at like pretending that other people don't exist. That's just the truth. Like I'm not good at just like not looking around at people. And so I felt kind of bad just because I'm sure that I, you know, I was kind of messing up people's flows because I'd see them like give them like a head nod up or like I'd shoot at them or just like, you know, kind of typical Kia shit. I just don't, I'm not good at like, it all got passive aggressive. I feel like really quickly with no speaking because if it's like if somebody sits in your chair or something and Here's the thing, we were at a Buddhist retreat and I was really surprised still how many people I felt like were practicing like not Buddhism traits, which is something we're gonna get to a little bit later on like how, how much I think just being human is ingrained with this experience, whether we wanna practice Buddhism or not. Overall, the retreat itself was fantastic. I uh, got this amazing roommate, his name was Teju and he was this cool Indian dude and he had the coolest mustache and so we were, we were we became homies because we were both, I think, in it some, but but we're still kind of questioning. And every time I have some sort of a prolonged experience like this, like some sort of a retreat or anything like that, I feel like I have this kind of typical, kind of typical phases, typical stages, where at first I'm very resistant. I'm a cynical dude from the jump, not in terms of life, but in terms of dogma, dharma, religion, anything like that. I'm just, you know, I come in with the, with my skeptical hippo eyes. And so that that's always part. I always kind of come in as a skeptic and then I become won over and I kind of eat everything hook, line, and sinker. And I'm like, this is the best thing ever. And then by the end, I start to kind of find a middle ground of maybe an in-between where I'm like, this is rad. Let me take what I can from it, but maybe not, but maybe put my own spin on it. And so that's what I want to give you guys today. So the treat center was at the top of a hill. And so you aren't allowed to leave. You don't have any electronics. You're in silence most of the time. And so I honestly struggled with it a lot, y'all. I struggled with that piece a lot. Just not the silence piece, like I said, but I just had a lot of ideas that things I was pushing up against. And I felt like I was in my own head a lot, which is good. And, you know, we had the meditation and stuff to figure it out. But at the same time, there were, there were parts when I, when I did get a little bit lost and because you are studying the nature of the mind I think it's easy to kind of fall into that like down these like dark rabbit holes when it's just you and your thoughts if you've ever done any Vipassana stuff or any of these retreats you know exactly what I'm talking about where you can end up with the not so nice versions of yourself in these kind of extended periods of silence which is why I think it's also a beautiful thing in terms of the location it was very simple living like I was sleeping on like a mattress a single mattress on like some two by fours and it was I was freezing because it's Kia I'm a wuss now that um, I've been living in these hot climates, so it was super cold for me, but the environment was really cool. It was very tranquil, except for there were tons of stray dogs, especially out here in this part of India. There are tons of stray dogs, and there are, were monkeys that was fascinating. They would like, they, the way they swing from tree to tree, I was blown away by. They'd come in and try to steal food. One tried to fight me. I was like, bro, are we going to have problems? He tried to take my water bottle straight up. I was working out on the roof and I had this red water bottle that looked like a sapphire that would belong in the cave of wonders from Aladdin, which is why I assume he probably liked it. It was like sparkly and it had, I'm, listen, you know, I bought it for $2. It is what it is. And so I was working out on the rooftop trying to stay fit and this monkey comes over and he, he's like, he looks like he's about to grab the water bottle. So I like run up to him and he, he, he goes, and he's like, he like, he like postures up on me. Like he's like trying to fight. And so he postures up on me. I grab my water bottle. I don't, I just look him in the eye and I'm like, I'm ready to scrap. I don't say anything to him. I just grab my water. I kind of get in like a crouching, almost like jujitsu sort of position where I'm like ready, you know, my elbows in, you know, I'm like ready to, to attack or defend. I don't say anything. I just look him in the eye and it's crazy. We just circle each other for a little bit. 
we just circle around this yoga mat that I was working out on. We just circle. I'm holding my water bottle, and we just. I'm, I look at me. I'm like, dude, if you want to go, I'm bigger than you. You've got the claws and the teeth, but like, let's go. And so I was ready to scrap. I think he got that. He backed down eventually. Knew I was the bigger man. What's up? No, it was crazy. Just a quick sidebar on the monkeys. Seeing them eat like fruits and stuff, and seeing them swing around, and seeing them like like pick off each other's like hair and stuff i've never really spent that much time around monkeys and it was fascinating to see them because they're so human-like and it was really telling because of something i'm going to get to a little bit later around my my perspective on religion buddhism and nature and it was so crazy to see these animals that were so similar to us like they have fingers and toes and their actions another one of the guys who was in the retreat he was working out on the rooftop too and he won't he once went over and he tried to like get up on this piece of the roof and they did not like that and so they spazzed out and one came over and started like shoving him off like i've never seen another animal shove another animal like i was like it just it, like that's a human i was like oh like we aren't that evolved which is my whole thesis is what i'm going to get to a little bit later on but for now we're going to start with in terms of the good, the bad, and the ugly, we're going to start with a little quick intro about Buddhism and this whole thing before we get this thing popping off. So just to give you a brief overview of this type of Buddhism, just as like a quick primer, there are different types of Buddhism. This was the Mahayana, I think it's called, and this was the big beliefs are like karma and rebirth, and the, the big thesis is to end suffering for all sentient beings. So that means both humans and animals, trees and plants and stuff aren't included in that. But this is that type of Buddhism. So I wanted to let you know straight up, like that's what I'm gonna be diving into here. And that I, again, I know people have been studying this for thousands of years. I spent 10 days and this is key as like half big theories, but I'm a man and uh, I'm entitled to my opinion. Before we jump into the juicy stuff, I want to tell you the best parts. I think for me, the biggest piece, one of the biggest takeaways from this entire thing was that I can take what I need to and take what resonates with me, see what doesn't resonate with me, inspect it, and then if I need to, I can let that go. That I don't need to take everything. It wasn't like it's all or nothing. And so I wanted to throw that out there. So the good, there are some amazing pieces to this. I'd say I'm probably like 70-30, honestly, on the Buddhism thing. Like there's so much that I love. And so I wanna run down with you guys quickly some of my favorite pieces to this entire uh, retreat and to this a lot of this religion this culture this framework I think is what it is because you don't have to renounce another religion you can be a Buddhist Muslim you can be a Buddhist Christian it's more of a framework of thinking and understanding the mind which is why I think this is so cool so let's start with some of my top takeaways for the good so number one is meditation this is what a lot of this practice is based on is getting to know your own mind inspecting yourself they would ask the question what is your most valuable possession and we often say it's this or it's that it's my body or whatever and it's really your mind and and they made the point that when you have a physical space all of the care and the money and the time that we invest into our physical space, even our bodies, but even like our home or our apartment, whatever it is, buying things, decorating, throwing out junk, buying new things. 
and how little we actually invest in our own mind. And it is our single most valuable possession. It's the one piece that we take around with us, that we have with us 24 seven. And so it makes sense that we would invest in this. And for some reason, most of us, myself included, don't spend nearly enough time actually looking on how to cultivate this thing. That we just, we've gone through life and that we accumulate a lot of junk, honestly. And if you think about it with the house analogy, it's like you go into a house, the first thing you're gonna to wanna to do is clean it up before you try to add more. And so that's the thing is trying to clean up and what I've been really working on with my own meditation thing about this is unlearning. All of, a lot of cultural programming, just different things that I've had growing up, all of the junk that I've digested over the years. How can I unlearn a lot of stuff and that alone, that's this whole Buddhist philosophy too, is almost like you take the pain away, you take the suffering away, and you have this state of like you're satisfied, you're happy. And so it's more of like a subtractive process than an additive one. And so a lot of the practice though is based on meditation. I love that. We did a ton of meditating, probably too much for your boy, but into it. Another cool piece to this that I thought was really rad was this idea that there was no single sense of I, which I'm still working through this. Not totally, didn't totally click, but it, I understood it, that we are an ever-changing process, right? That we aren't a stationary figure. If we look back at how much we've changed over the years, that's proof enough that we will continue to change. But for some reason we feel like this is it. That like this person that I've developed, like this is all I have and this is all that I will be. But that there is no, when we say like, I feel this, I am that, that like I actually doesn't exist. It's actually, something that exists in our sense of a feeling it but that it's there isn't like a tangible eye you know they say like look for what's looking or like if there's something like an observer observing your thoughts but it gets deep so i'm not going to dive too into it here because honestly there's a lot that i'm still working through with it but that was really cool thinking about it of like there is no the sense of no sense of real sense of i and no objective reality was really powerful for me that we're all going through with our own glasses our own lens on what is life that we bring our own expectations our own our own experience to every single thing we see and so there's this great example uh, even ourselves, right? We perceive ourselves differently than we think, uh, than uh, we th believe we are perceived by others. But an example, he used a couple that I thought were really cool, but one that I really loved was the idea of a bowl. That if I give you like a piece, uh, like a metal bowl, as an adult, I'll hand it to you and you probably say, yeah, it's a bowl. I put like food in here. But if you give a bowl to a kid, and before they have that mental construct that it's a bowl, or what they'd call is like a dependent arising that is like dependent on something else. That it's like, it could be anything. It's a shield, it's a helmet, it's a spaceship, it's a place to sit in. It could be like one, you know, thing that you like, like you can roll your, like you can put your foot in and like scoot around in. It's like, there, it doesn't have an inherent value in and of itself that everything, that we place our own inherent value on things that we that we that we put we create our own reality which i just think is so fascinating and also life like we are self-created like the world doesn't happen to us that we are happening to the world that this this life this reality is one that you create and i like that idea that it's not like you put your faith in like just like some man in the sky but it's like you create your own reality through practice through the mindset through the work and that you develop you develop the resilience to handle this life. A couple, okay, a couple other key concepts that really resonated with your boy was this idea of karma, right? What goes around comes around. And although I don't personally believe in it the same way that they do, I think there's a lot here that, you know, that, that you, to pay attention to the good actions, staying, going along with the piece of 
process that we are process we're, we're always developing is this idea of impermanence right lack of attachment that thing will always come and go it's always this kind of constant stream of there's no set thing and that it's our fascination our obsession our attachment to these things needing to be a certain way like that always that causes a lot of our suffering and a lot of the thesis theses i don't know what it's theses theses i feel like i'm a battle rapper i'm on a thesis is like this idea of impermanence letting go lack of attachment humility there's a lot about appreciation for life there there are some really cool ideas that use psychology in here one of my favorites was this idea of cognitive fusion which basically means that people do bad things but that doesn't mean that they're bad people and same with good things and that we put this a lot on ourselves that we will create this inner monologue that if we do something bad and we say oh wow i'm i i i feel this way so i must be this way rather than it's like you did a bad action yeah maybe you got some bad karma but that doesn't mean that you are inherently bad there's this idea that like we all can achieve enlightenment that we there's a lot about wisdom and compassion right those are the kind of the two big founding blocks this whole thing a lot felt like it was about redemption right that you can learn to be better and that a lot of times the mistakes that we make when we cause pain to people it's simply out of a place of ignorance and so there are pieces like that that i absolutely loved what I want to jump into now is some of my pushback. I think this is where this this is where I really struggled the most was with my own ideas around some of the main theses from Buddhism in general. And so there's again I want to say I'll say this time and time again. There's so much here that I love. Look into it for yourself. Appreciate helps you appreciate life. It helps you figure out who you are, or at least who you think you are, how to have more perspective for other, you know, love for other people. That like when people test your patience, that's actually a blessing. We should be thanking them. We should be grateful for the people that test our patience because they're giving us a chance to practice. So all these ideas of and really meaning these things was a game changer. But let's jump into key is pushback. When it comes to my pushback, something that I think is really good about this, one of the best things that happened from this, is that because it challenged me a lot, it really forced me to think about what I do believe. I was like, okay, okay so if I don't believe in this version of enlightenment or whatever, then what the heck do I believe? What is there on the other side of this? If, if this doesn't feel like it's right to me, then what is right to me? And so that to me was a real big takeaway was kind of developing my ideas for myself through my own reality, right, about what Buddhism is or isn't in a, only a 10-day period. And so for me, there are a couple of things that I wanted to talk about on that didn't quite click for me and my two cents on why that was. So there are two big pieces to Buddhism that I personally, at least this type of Buddhism, that I really struggled to accept and I'm coming at with, not with cynicism, but with a curious mind. So if this feels like it's a little half-baked, it's because it is. So here's the deal. The first one is this idea of enlightenment. Uh, in terms of this Buddhist sense of, of being free from suffering, that you become a Buddha, or a, I think it's like a Buddha, Buddha, Buddha Sattva or something like that. You pretty much, you achieve enlightenment, you achieve nirvana, this state of like, of all-knowing, no more suffering. To me, I just don't buy it. And I've just, there's a lot of reasons why, but a lot of it is because there, it's this idea of like permanent happiness. And as someone, I'm maybe just based too, I'm too based in the science, but having done a lot of research on happiness myself, I don't believe that happiness is a state 
to shoot for for permanence. I also don't think it's necessarily a state to shoot for in general. I think because it is to me a state that inherently means that it is impermanent. And so I thought this was so fascinating that so much of this Buddhism, I, the ideology was that like everything changes, that's the whole point, except for enlightenment, that once you get it, you just reach it and that's it. Compared to like, I feel like personally, I feel like I go through periods of enlightenment where sometimes I just feel like I'm unstoppable, I'm on top of it, and then I kind of fall out of it and go through other periods that are a little bit harder, a little bit darker. And this idea of happiness, right, to and suffering, especially for all beings, which we'll get to next, to me didn't didn't fit right because I don't like the, to me, I'm not trying to shoot to be happy all the time, right? I think to me, I like the idea of suffering and that sounds terrible, but because it's like Newton's law, right? Whatever goes up must come down. That my biggest lessons, I'd argue, the the, the my biggest takeaways from life have been from my most painful darkest moments, right? Without my moments of suffering, I wouldn't have happiness. I wouldn't have, I talk about this a lot, I wouldn't have anything else to compare it to. And so to me, if, again, I talk about that all the time. How's the worst thing that happened to you actually the best thing that ever happened to you? And so I don't think that to me there is ever a state when we get when there's just no suffering. Whether you are living in the mansions in LA and you have a ton of money, richy rich, or you live in the favelas in Brazil. I've been in both. I've talked to people in both. They both suffer, even if it is differently. That that to me feels like it's putting happiness on a pedestal. And in a way, even though this may not be exactly how they meant it, but in a way it feels like it's diminishing our other emotions. And I'm gonna talk about this a little bit later on, but we have all these emotions for a reason, right? So I wanna feel all of the emotions that I can as deeply as I can. The point for me isn't to try to run away from any of them, not run away, but diminish any of them. I want to feel all of them and to know, have the tools to work with all of them, to recognize all of them and to get what I can out of all of them because there is something beautiful to me about the painful moments. And that's often when I make my best art. That's often when I can feel like I'm the most connected to other people, right? I think it's pain for me that ultimately is like my cartilage. Pain is my connective tissue. It's, it's in those moments when I feel the most human sometimes is when I'm really hurting and that I know other people are really hurting and it's because of pain I feel like I'm able to connect. And so the point for me is I'm not trying to get out of suffering forever. Maybe it'd be great to suffer less, of course. And this might be a very privileged perspective being, you know, from a, a white guy like me from the States, you know, I'm not living, like I said, in some crazy heart, like in a war zone. I get that, how it's different. But again, one of my favorite psychologists, Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, developed this idea around logotherapy and psychology. You know, he was in Auschwitz, I'm, like concentration camps. And he talks a lot about finding meaning in the the power of suffering, even when he was in these concentration camps, had his family stripped from him and killed, his, his life's work, his manuscript was taken, destroyed, and to still find meaning in the suffering, even though for me it might seem like, you know, I've got all this privilege, which I do, that I'm like, yeah, go suffering. Even for him to talk about the meaning of suffering, and that is to be at some of the harshest conditions, I argue, you know, that humans can face, is really powerful. And so to me, I like the idea of, of feeling it all. I'm not trying to just be happy, right? I want to be as happy as often as possible. But 
I know, I know when I'm up, I need to appreciate it because something could be right around the corner and you never know what's next. I also know when I'm down low that I don't stay that way forever. And I think there's this the real power in feeling it all and life being dynamic. I want to paint with all the colors. I've talked about this before. Like I want to use meditation in my aspect of Buddhism. If I get angry, jealous, envious, sad, to be able to see those things, step out. I'm not in it, right? I don't have to be in the emotion. I can see it and then be like, okay, I'm angry. I'm fe- at least I'm saying I'm feeling angry. Why? You know, I'm learning from these things. It's, it's a real lesson. I'm saying, okay, I'm feeling angry. Why? And then when I feel these things and I can see them, I burn through the emotion so much quicker. Like the anger doesn't keep me like gripped for super long. I fucking able to like, like the half-life on these things is so much shorter when I'm able to say, okay, I'm feeling angry. That dude needs to fix his muffler. So when it comes to suffering too, in Buddhism, they have these four noble truths. One is that suffering is inevitable. Two, the cause of suffering is inevitable and that's often from attachment. But then three and four is like the cessation of suffering, which is like you don't have to suffer anymore. And then fourth is like the path of non-suffering or something like that. And so for me, that's just where I get off the train. I'm like, nah, like I've never met, I think anyone, I've never met anyone who's enlightened. So that to me is a struggle too. Listen, that doesn't mean that they aren't out there that you know just because what is it absence of evidence is evidence of absence or something like that but i've been a lot of places met a lot of people seen a lot of things have not ever met anyone who's enlightened i just want something i guess that's a little bit more practical and i think we're that's going to be a reoccurring theme we're going to see that we keep coming back to i've met a lot of people that claim they're enlightened right in bali there's a lot of men a lot of white guys with long dreaded hair who claim enlightenment in Thailand, a lot of people claim they're enlightened. In conscious communities in Latin America, a lot of people claim they're enlightened. And you can be enlightened too, as long as you sign up for my newsletter and buy my course for $99. Here's my website. I'm always just like, as soon as you claim you're enlightened to me, that's facts that you aren't enlightened. You know what I mean? And so for me, I'm still figuring out what my definition of enlightenment is. But I think to me, when I think about those the folks I look up to the most, to me, enlightenment is almost having the confidence to admit how little you know. It's not about achieving all-knowing wisdom. It's about going into self-reflection enough, into learning and understanding how little you know, admitting how little you know, staying curious, asking questions, staying humble, right? It's almost the reverse to me, enlightenment. It's almost like the direct opposite of Buddhist enlightenment of like, I'm happy forever and I know everything, to me is almost like how can I roll better with my negative emotions, with my painful emotions, and how can I really stay humble and stay curious about other people, other life, and know that I really don't know shit about shit. And to me, that is almost like a 180, you know, direct opposite to, to this. So that's my pushback. It's like, it's hard for me to take a lot of the Buddhism stuff when the main thesis, when I don't agree with the main thesis of the whole thing, right? So that's number one. The second main thesis of this is to end, this is one I really struggle with. So the second piece of Buddhism was this idea to end suffering for all humans and animals and sentient, what they call sentient beings, right? All human and animals. And because, at least in this style of Buddhism, there are like infinite, like endless lifetimes and beginnings, all animals deserve to be happy and you shouldn't kill them because they may have been your mother in a previous life. They, they probably were your mother in a previous life. And to me, again, this is where I get caught on my practical tip where to me, I think it's a little bit presumptuous to see these other animals and assume that they don't like doing their animal thing, that they want to be happy 
like we want to be happy, that we have the same level of happiness, and that they don't, that they shouldn't be suffering either, right? They say that all these living beings are your mother, right? And so that you shouldn't kill them because it's your mom. And listen, mom, I love you. You know I love you. Shout out to mom one time. Got the best mom in the world. Love her to death. But when I'm in Delhi and there are these three-inch, you know, big antenna, spindly-legged cockroaches like running around like, listen, I could have maybe one around. I'm saying, okay, mom, maybe I have two of you in my house at the same time. But I can't have a kitchen full of moms. You know what I mean? Ma, you know I love you. I don't want that many versions of my mom in my house at the same time. If, 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 plus, they're in my kitchen eating my food, you know, then it's crunch time. You know, I'm getting my flip-flops and I come in there like I'm Captain Crunch, right? They're like, crunchitize me, Captain, because if you're in my kitchen too and you're eating my food, I don't care if you're my mom in a past life. If there's a bunch of you all around, I can... I can handle one or two versions of my mom, a kitchen full of them, I can't have. And so I do believe in this idea of sometimes, sometimes critters got to die. I think piece of that to me is this idea, this naturalist perspective that I have on this whole thing. Because there's a couple different angles here. The first one is that to me, mother nature doesn't make a lot of mistakes, right? If you look at even the human being itself, how intricate we are, our, all of our cells and our organs, the way digestive system works, the way the whole thing is laid out, and not, we don't even have to think about it. And that's just one body, that's the human body, right? And then you look at all the other animals, the way everything works in a perfect balance, the beauty of like flowers and blossoming and trees and all these things. Like she's just, she's too good that I think that as humans, when you look at the book, I heard this analogy the other day, I loved it. Like the book of history of life, like humans appear on page like 99. You know, and so I just think it's a little presumptuous for us to feel like we know what's best for all living beings. It's like, especially carnivores, like because it's bad karma, at least in this Buddhist tradition, to kill, period. And I have a hard time imagining that like all carnivores are like racking up bad karma just by doing their thing. You know, like I don't want, I don't want lions to be vegan, you know, like I want them to do their thing. And so, yes. Mother Nature is brutal, right? If you see a, a nest of a, like a baby bird and then a hawk comes in when the mom leaves and like pecks them to death and like, you know, kills all the little babies and eats the eggs and then bounces, you guys like, Mother Nature's brutal. She is tough. At the same time, she's brilliant. The fact that she has created all of these things and also, if you look at sunsets or you look at the oceans and the waves and all the animals and things that happen underwater, like she also has a soft spot, right? Mother Nature, she's brutal. She's also brilliant. She has a soft spot. And I don't think that there, that we need to end suffering for all animals. I think that it almost goes against this idea of evolution, right? What about, you know, survival of the fittest? How do you then pass on superior traits if we all get to live and we're all happy all the time you know that it just it, to me it doesn't it doesn't feel right like animals should be happy even if you think about animals that are the like more bottom of the food chain ish like a rabbit or something and they'll say i was thinking about this i was like most of us and you take you strip away fire you strip away you know combustible engines whatever it is combustible energy you know what i'm talking about you strip away chat gtb we're all doing the same thing right 
you take us before we were at this like big brain super animal and like we're all just trying to find shelter we're trying to feed our family and we're trying to find time to hump something you know what i mean we're all just looking for a little time for something to hump and i think that that is especially when you look at rabbits these bottom of the food chain animals their defense is that they procreate a lot and that's kind of a cool thing you know even if you are getting eaten alive by these bigger predators you're you spend a lot of your time just procreating like that's not a bad existence you know what i mean it's like mother nature it's not i just don't think it's supposed to be like the you know like the lion king like i love the movie shout out lion king but to me it just feels like that's the way that nature works is it's it's brutal you suffer you figure things out hump something you get killed you keep moving on and you do that over and over and it's kind of like this beautiful process that happiness to me almost feels like it's like a modern luxury and by modern i don't mean like 2023 i mean like just as human like after fire type of thing for us to sit around and be like what about happiness you know compared to just like after we're like let's not get eaten by lions and try to have a conversation with a lion you know what i mean when you are posted up when it was hunter gathers and you know a bear comes in grizzly bear comes in he's like i smell food you're gonna be like excuse me sir I really wouldn't like you to suffer. So, you know, he's going to come in. He's tearing shit up. He doesn't, he doesn't care. He's going to bite your leg off. Like, I like this idea of nature, the, the intelligent design behind nature. That to me, I think, again, this is a really hard idea for me to think of. It's like all sentient beings deserve happiness. I think we could, I, if we cut off just animals and go just for humans, I think it's possible. I like that idea. I mean, yes, they're still suffering, but I like the idea of like, let's just focus on humans. Like, yes, be kind to animals, be kind to nature, but why don't we just try to like get everybody at least more on the same page for like more of like, you know, healthy drinking water, just like simple shit like that before I start like caring about like flies and mosquitoes. You know what I mean? Like tit for tat, you bite my shit, I'm going to kill you. That's just what it is. You live and you learn, right? Bite the hand that feeds that's what happens so to me i thought that was just a really interesting kind of perspective that i didn't exactly agree with okay y'all. i know this video is going on a little bit long so i'm going to try to wrap this up but here's my ugly piece and this was just my take on religion in general is that i think religion is really fascinating i think there's a lot about it that's really powerful but the buddhist story like the buddha story the long story short is like you have like this is a very intricate extravagant version by the way rich prince dude born rich prince dude and then at 25 leaves his kingdom and sees real life and sees it like an old man and sees a beggar and sees somebody dead and he's like whoa life is really like there's real shit out here he spends the next 10 years you know going fasting trying to figure out how to you know he renounces his princeship he's like i'm gonna figure out more stuff for life and then he goes sits under a tree and he's like, I'm going to figure out this framework for life until I'm going to sit on this tree until I figure out the framework for life. And he does that. And then one day he's like, OK, I'm enlightened. And I'm going to come back and show all you all the path. And that's you read Siddhartha, right? That was our summer reading. I think it was eighth grade and ninth grade. I think it was also 1984. And maybe it wasn't Grapes of Wrath. I think it was 11th grade. Maybe it was like Legend of Gilgamesh or something. You read Siddhartha. You know the story. Here's the thing. I'm almost 35. And maybe I'm just jealous, but I, again, I think there's something about a lot of religions to me feel like they are men who are then just claiming that they are enlightened and have all the answers. And I think as a white man who is around that age, 
it rubs me the wrong way. Like if, if ideas, say ideas are created equal and they come to us just as different, different beings. It's like not one woman stumbled on Buddhism or like there's not one of these religions, you know, that was invented by a woman. I just think, you know, as a man, I think as much as we've developed in technology, I don't think as an animal internally we've developed that much. I know what what it's like to be a man and you want status and you want power and you want influence and you want knowledge and you want to feel important and of course all these things that I just think it's fascinating and this is why I'm, I'm saying I'm getting flammable with my shit is that I just think it's interesting that it's always men and that even when humility is part of the experience right we went to go see the Dalai Lama and shout out to him I've actually seen him speak before I was almost like you were I was at like a Bieber concert you know what I mean like even if humility is part of the religion like there's something to having people worship you and put you up on a pedestal and like being a celebrity more or less that I don't think is not for nothing. And I think a lot of religious leaders, whether they want to or not, I think that's like, it's almost so part of, this is, I know this is so disrespectful and I, I really don't mean it that way. He's doing amazing work and he deserves to. But I, to me, I just, again, think that it's really interesting how at the core, if we follow these back, a lot of these religions started by men who claimed to have all the answers at the time and that I think is it's like it's just hard for me to get behind sometimes uh rather than I don't know why one woman didn't have one of these ideas you know or maybe she did and people didn't listen to her so that's why it happened but still you know the whole masculine thing like it's like mostly men like again yeah, I just, it's, it's, it's hard for me to, to sometimes fully dive into a hook, line, and sinker. But that said, here, okay, last point about religion that I want to make, because I think this is super important, is here's the deal. Whether you agree with this or not, cool, hate on me in the comments, helps the algorithm, please. My point about religion is this, no matter what you believe, whether it's a god, whether it's a white man, whether it's Buddha, whether it's a white light, there is something so powerful about getting together as humans and singing together, dancing together, chanting together with a group that feels something similar. The very last night that we were there, we had this little ceremony, it's called a puja, and we put, we had these candles lit and we came in and we had this same chant. We just chanted it over and over, maybe for 20, 25 minutes. And it was the most connected I felt during the entire experience. And it was just because there's something about the, all these different creeds and cultures, people from all over that I think is so powerful. And it's the same feeling that I get when I'm doing these ayahuasca experiences. It's again, it's, that's the closest that I feel like I come to God is when I am with other human beings and we're singing or we're chanting and we're often around fire and it's often at night and maybe you know, you're doing something with your hands whether you're praying or you're holding hands or physical contact or playing instruments, whatever it is. There's something to me about song and dance that is religion. I think to me and that's something that I stumbled on was my own religion it's called YGO you get one because I'm just not in the whole afterlife thing I've just never met anybody who was again people who claimed but again believe what you want I'm calling it you get one and our, our phrase is be nice you get one and the way that the sermons work or the services whatever we're gonna call them is you know, we all come to the, in a synagogue or a temple or church, wherever we come and we gather. And the person leading the, the service, you know, they lean in and they tap the mic. They go, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for attending today's session. I'd just like to remind you all, <clears throat> you get one. 
and then the crowd erupts and we spend the next 55 minutes singing and dancing you know what i mean like that's what it is and that's just what i believe in is this idea of that i don't think i'm coming back as like a fly or cockroach i believe in karma in the, in the way that it like it makes me feel good when I do good things and so whether or not I'm trying to like accumulate a score so that I come back as this or that or I go to a heaven or a hell a lot of times again religion to me it feels almost like this is again some incendiary shit it feels like men's attempt at wanting to live forever because we're actually scared of death like if you really dive into it to me I feel like a lot of times it's men creating these other scenarios or trying to rationalize death why we have other lifetimes or why we're going to something after this rather than just being like what if this is it and you had one and you get one and it's precious so do with it like do the best that you can with what you've got and that to me i think just resonates more than anything is to be like karma for the sake of karma that i know when i'm now doing a lot of meditation and on my path and i'm still doing mine but like figuring out that when i feel when, I, when I'm doing, when I feel like I'm on my path, when I feel like I'm living in alignment, I feel the best. That karma, like, it's not that, it's because I'm trying to like, you know, stack up points or anything. It's like, when I do bad shit, I feel bad. And I know it, right? During this, even during this thing, I came in, I had my seat during the, during the, the presentations, and then a woman came in and took it. And I was like, okay, all good. I'm here for Buddhist thing. Let me take another seat. Got another seat. Good view. I'm in the back. I'm in a nice chair. Got my cushions right. Cute Latina girl comes in, takes my seat. I'm like, okay. Now it's, now it's game time. The next session, I get there early. I sit in the same seat. I'm like, this is my seat. And I'm sitting there and I'm waiting for her to come in. Who now, it was my seat originally, but she's not going to see it as that way. She's just going to see it as me taking her seat. And I was like, Kia, we're at a Buddhist retreat, bro. Like, let the seat go. Like, there are more seats. Again, this whole attachment thing about being my seat. That I was like, let's put some of this Buddhist thing to practice. Right? It was my seat. I had everything. Like, I had my, I had my pillows everything was good one it's a seat not a big deal but more than that i knew that was the right thing and going through the day like whether i'm stealing little things and i'm not like stealing stealing, but like say my roommate right he had his soap there and so i would sometimes like use his soap and in my mind i'm like i'm kind of stealing as in terms of this buddhist review it's like it's like using something that's not fully given to you I'm conscious about killing animals now, whether it's a fly, mosquitoes, wasps, cockroaches, whatever. Like, I'm trying, I'm not, I'm not my first instinct. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to give you a chance or two. But again, bite the hand that feeds, that's what happens. Um, but there's a, there was a lot there of like just really beautiful points and moments about impermanence that I think I'm still struggling with. I'm still wrapping my head around. But it really helped me realize what I do believe. I haven't figured out exactly my version of enlightenment yet. I gave you a little taste teaser before. Um, but that that's really where I'm at. Is like I believe in nature. I believe in evolution. I believe that doing the right thing is always the right thing. Um, and that I believe in having the full human experience. Feeling all the emotions. You never achieve one state forever. If it's bad, it's not forever. If it's good, it's not forever. That there is a real reality that we that we there's no objective reality a real experience that we bring a lens that we bring to everything and that's something you have control over these things i think are powerful knowing yourself being the best version that you can be even if that sometimes feels selfish because the top five regrets of the dying right is living for other people's turns not living for yourself and so all of these things around impermanence and attachment and self-development investigating your mind just for me um resonated so much and even if all of it didn't exactly fit in my box of my experience, 
there's still so much yet to be learned. And I'm hoping that on this path, I'll continue to have humility, continue to learn, continue to do the right things, be the best man that I can be. And even when it seems selfish, even when I'm making time for myself or um, I'm not, you know, coming out or contacting or whatever it is that like, if I can be the best version that I can be, if my cup is full, that I can then bring the best energy that I can to this life, to this world, and that you get one, you're here for a very short time, make the most of it, we're really just drops in the bucket. And that to me, I think, really helps me just the perspective of zooming out and realizing like, cause I'm not an infinite lifetimes guy, like that I've almost died a couple times already, that it's like, this is bonus and to be, I have so many blessings that I will still suffer, I will still have pain, I will still have be moody, I will still be bougie, but that at the end of the day, there's so much to be grateful for and that that is a process of reminding myself of that and to um, continue to pursue things that I think can help the world. And I think that's my art, you know? I really believe in art, in transforming, that's why I like the suffering thing. I believe in transforming emotion into art and like, that's where I'm at is like, art is kind of my religion in a way, you know, whether it's through writing or anything, it's like, that to me is really the sauce, is not necessarily being in my life in the emotions, but like they say, it's like having a flowing river and you wanna like be on the, you wanna be on like the, the sh like the bank looking at it. And that's how I feel about my art, right? If I'm on a bad date or it's a bad day or something crazy happens, I'm like, at least I can write about it. At least I can make a video. At least I can make a song. At least I can shoot some photos. You know, I can create some sort of beautiful thing out of whatever this is and it really helps me rather than be in the river and, and like screaming and feeling all the emotions kind of step back a little bit and see myself having the experience and say well this is going to make for an interesting story sometime i'm excited to write about it this whole time too when i was having a hard time i was like well i'm excited to shoot this video i'm excited to write about it i'm actually working on a piece on it right now so stick around we'll get there eat pray thug on the way y'all Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, I know this was a long one, a lot in here, really deep. I'm sorry if I offended you. That was not my intention. This is one man's half-baked ideas, but I wanted to get these off my chest. I felt like it was welling up in me the whole time. I was so excited to get it out and talk about it it's because I think these are some really potent ideas and I wanted to share them as well as share my own two cents at the same time. Thank you for tuning in and getting focused. I'll check you on the next one. Peace.